All right, we're pleased for the first time to be joined by Brent Rawlings. He covers the Georgia Bulldogs for UGASports.com, and he's the host of an outstanding podcast, if you're not following it already, Bulldogs by the Numbers. Brent, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on. Pleasure to be here. Now, I want to give you a layup to start this thing. How scared is Dog Nation that old Billy Napier's down there at Florida? I mean, is that slim and none? Is that like <laughs> slim to none? I mean, I, I, really and truly, I, I think you probably see the utmost of confidence now. Georgia fans, they were probably confident prior to you know, this past January, but now it's there's probably a confidence level that is uh, through the roof uh, with, with Georgia fans. Now, I know I'm just kind of kidding with that, but is it? do you think it will be odd that um, – I don't know how close uh, Billy Napier and Kirby Smart are, but I got to imagine that relationship's a heck of a lot better than Dan Mullen and Kirby Smart. I mean, who knows? They, they were on the same staff, obviously, at Alabama. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, I, I think Dan probably rubbed many uh, the wrong way in terms of uh, his, his own uh, behavior. He's an interesting character, that's for sure. Now, I don't want to steal your thunder. You did tweet this out, and I saw that you said you're going to share your comments uh, over the weekend. I don't plan on putting this out till Monday, so feel free to, uh, again, I'm not trying to steal your thunder, but you posed the question to Georgia fans, Stetson Bennett, what do you think Georgia needs from him next season? Uh, where are you leaning in that conversation? So I kind of took that a different way. And, and what's interesting is a lot of the fans, a lot of the responses, and even and what kind of got it started was a a conversation on the dog vent on ugasports.com where basically the question was posed and talking about from a statistical perspective with Stetson Bennett, could he possibly see himself in the Heisman race? And I look at that from a different angle. And basically what I did in the piece is talk about what it is they need from him above and beyond numbers, like the in, almost independent of the numbers. And the answer to that to me is, he needs to be a professional quarterback. And now what do I mean by that? It's because you think you think about it, there's kind of an interesting dynamic at play with him because I think I counted, if you say if you get two of the QBs that are drafted in the, in the next week's draft, they end up starting day one for their team. You know, somebody like Malik Willis and maybe Ritter or Corral or whoever starts week one. That means that 11 of the 32 quarterbacks that start week one in the NFL will be younger than Stetson Bennett. Kyler Murray is about to be on his fourth season. He is 82 days older than Stetson Bennett. Like, so him, he is a, he's an adult who's playing college quarterback. He might be, you know, if he was, if he had thrown some passes to Oscar Delp, I don't know if it was, he actually completed, completed any in the, in the G day game, but true freshman Oscar Delp. I mean, he's almost seven years older than people that he might be throwing the ball to. So you need him to be a true pro and that's attention to detail. It's the leadership stuff that he already brings, but it's attention to detail in his footwork and how he goes through pre-snap reads, how he goes through his, his mechanics. Don't get loose with your mechanics, be strong and, and just highly organized, highly specific, highly detailed in those areas. And then lastly, to me, the biggest thing is the decision-making. Like there are times, and I think every Georgia fan would tell you every Stetson game, there's like one or two throws where you're just like, what in the world are you doing? And even Kirby commented a little bit about it after the, 
uh, the spring game, I think, in terms of getting rid of the boneheaded plays. In his career, he has, I think it's 20 over the past two seasons. Let's just think about over the past two seasons. 27 big-time throws, which is PFF's highest-graded throw, uh, and then 19 turnover-worthy plays. It's a little less than 1.5 to 1 in terms of that ratio. If you want to truly be and step into that elite category as a quarterback, that at minimum needs to be two to one. And ideally goal would be about two to five, 2.5 to one where he's got about 25 big time throws, 10 turnover worthy plays. And if he does that, when you do that, when you look at all of that and you combine the defensive step back that has to happen, like it's inevitable that, you know, the historic defense that was last year will not be the same, but you combine that with more opportunity, you might find yourself at the end of the season and you look up and he's got 3,500 yards and 33 touchdowns and maybe seven picks. And if you're 30, that kind of numbers plus being on a top four, top three, top two team, you're going to find yourself at least in the discussion and in the race for the Heisman. Mm. Now, how big of a deal do you think it was that Georgia was able to keep Amarius Mims? Uh, you know, he went in the transfer portal, obviously well-documented comeback. Florida State thought they got him, but that tackle position is, is such a premium. How big is that for Georgia, which Mims may not even be a starter, but he's certainly got a bright future ahead of him. I think it's big for the kid as much as it is for the program. I think Georgia would be fine. They're going to they, – like true freshman, Ernest Green, that guy's legit. Legit as they come as a true freshman who I think could have even possibly and potentially start at some point this season, whether that's due to injury or whether that's just due to being better uh, than, than somebody that's already there at any point position really on other than possibly center on the line. But for the kid, I think it's just one of those where you be in that you come back to that versus right now you go somewhere where they hand you something, hand you a job, go throw you into the fire. Like it, it's, he has got, from a physical standpoint, there are physical skills that that kid has that just don't exist and don't exist in large quantities. And that's why it was as high rated as crude as he was. And that's why they've, you know, I think they've probably said, hey, all right, sure, come on back, as opposed to, you know, see you later, never come back. Uh, and I think it's just as much as it's important for the team and the depth, uh, it's as important for the kid because the depth thing is, is real as well. Mm -hmm. Now, how in the world – is Georgia going to utilize all these tight ends? I know you covered it for UGASports.com, but Brock Bowers, probably the best tight end in the country. Arie Gilbert, who looked, to me, he looked a little out of shape. He's scored multiple touchdowns in the spring game. That's just how dominant he could be. Darnell Washington, you mentioned Oscar Delp already. I mean, are we going to see a four tight end set here, or what's going on? You could. I know one thing. It's Here's the, the fact that you even have that conversation, that you say, could we see it? The fact you can even say that just goes to show how loaded that room is. But I think it's one of the things that that because of Bowers that Kirby Smart and Todd Monken have sort of fallen into where it's like, hey, we do this and we run two tight end sets, possibly even three tight end sets more than not necessarily more than anyone, because there's other teams that do it very frequently, but we do it better. Than anyone, and in the age of Ohio State having three, you know three eventual probably first round picks, you know what LSU had with Chase and Jefferson and Marshall, like in that world, like Kirby says, all right, we can be unique and be different and be sort of special offensively, 
and still be physical in the run game and still kind of play how they want to play. I think they've kind of stumbled onto, in essence, what Kirby Smart looks at is his perfect level of offense, where it's a combination of explosive, unique with the tight ends and creating mismatches, and then also still be physical and, and predominantly run, and run kind of run dominated. Now, speaking of Todd Munkin, were you surprised at all that uh, he didn't get a little bit more recognition last season because – you know, maybe it's understandable because that defense was otherworldly, you know, literally maybe the best of all time. Yet the offense was, in my opinion, basically elite all off season, all season. But, uh, you know, it didn't seem like Munkin got a lot of respect. I don't even think he was a, a semifinalist for the, uh, the Broyles Award when I think he should have been. Do you think Todd Munkin gets enough credit? I mean, he gets paid really, really, really well. <laughs> And if you're if you're looking at that in terms of the, the way you define cred, I think he he uh, he gets paid quite handsomely uh, as an offensive coordinator. But from a media perspective, I do think you're right in that the defense and the because what we're about to see like eight maybe guys off of that defense picked in the top 100, like it's it's a next level legit all time type defense. And because of that, it's always the starting point for the conversation. But what Georgia did offensively, especially from year one of Munkin to year two and how he evolved in using more play action, using the screen game more and basically accentuating sets and Bennett's strengths that caused them to be they other outside of Ohio state. They were the most explosive passing offense on a percentage basis in the country, in the power five, like it, they were that sort of next level explosive. And it, obviously it helps to have guys like lab McConkie with crazy speed and Brock Bowers that can take a, five-yard catch and turn it seven into 70. But, you know, he created those opportunities and he's done a phenomenal job of evolving that sort of explosive offense while also blending in the physical running game. Where do you think Georgia is at running back? Do you think they're satisfied with the guys they've got? I mean, Edwards, he stepped up in the spring game. He looked great. We all know Kendall Milton, the talent he's flashed, but you're losing Cook and Zeus to the NFL uh, you know, that that's a position group. I think um, I'm not saying Georgia's got an issue there, but uh, do you think uh, they're pleased with where they're at or do you think they'll look to potentially add someone via the transfer portal if possible? I don't think they'll look to add because they got two incoming freshmen, Branson Robinson. I think the Andrew Paul kid like th those kids are going to come and provide the depth that typically you would see. But those top three, especially when you think the top two, when you look at Milton and McIntosh. You know, but KMs, Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh, like that's your Zeus and Cook combination. Whereas McIntosh can truly be a threat as a receiver, and he's one of the highest graded from PFF standpoint, one of the highest graded uh, receivers, receiving backs returning, and even last season. But that combination. Now, for me, the thing that I want to see from, especially from Kendall Milton, is the ability to go stay on the field. He's been there two years, and at very at some point within each of the seasons, even multiple points within those seasons, he's not been able to play. So if he can consistently stay on the field, I think you see you know a really good season from him and a really good season from both of them, where almost I think their stats could be borderline identical. From a you know they each have about 750 rushing. Now if you see any sort of injuries within the two, because but like I said, both of them have really missed time at some point in their career, Dajan Edwards is a more than capable back uh, as, as that sort of third guy. And that guy's going to get touches. They, they rotate in the way they 
the way they play consistently, that guy's going to get touches. And you maybe even find like a Branson Robinson that comes in and gets you know a touch here or there, kind of like Kendall Milton did his freshman year. Now you alluded to the draft less than a week away now. And, you know, Georgia, we're going to see Bulldog after Bulldog after Bulldog selected. So who's the next generation of elite defenders that are going to emerge in Athens and I don't even know if you could throw Jalen Carter in there because it seems like he's already slotted as maybe the top pick at the next round. So maybe even looking beyond him, who are the guys that that are going to step up for Kirby Smart and company on, on the defensive side of the ball? You obviously mentioned the primary one. Like it, it's it's funny you see that throughout sort of the the draft Twitter Twitter world that oh I'm watching this and I'm watching this, but I can't take my eyes off 88 <laughs> because he's that good and he's that special. He's he's unreal as, as a talent and I think definitive outside of you know having insane levels of quarterback seasons he's probably the first non-skill player off the board next year but after him Keely Ringo is going to be a shutdown level corner for them size speed all that comes into play there you have two very experienced players in the secondary I think they're going to provide a lot of help in uh, Christopher Smith and William Poole, who kind of came back for that extra year, could have gone and, and went to the league, but but came back, those guys. And then after that, I think it's going to be, all right, who's next in terms of just there's going to be a lot of guys that get opportunities and picking who that one might be it's because you're going to see like four or five linebackers play probably. You're going to see six, seven deep, various defensive linemen play that are going to get opportunities. It's, all right, who becomes that next guy? I think one for me, especially watching the spring game, uh, was Terry Ingram, Ingram Dawkins. He's going to play that Trayvon role and, and you know, be that sort of strong side defensive end that uh, can kick inside a lot of times on passing downs. I think he's one. And then I think you see, you hope, you expect you see kind of a, a, a jump in a way from Nolan Smith. Nolan Smith's been really good, really good as a run defender the entirety of his career. But as a pass rusher, it's just kind of been flash here, flash there, but not really – consistency if you can get that a level of consistency from him and a step, step up from him I think he pushes himself into that you know late first kind of second round edge type player next in next year's draft now Brent I recently heard you I believe it was on Chuck Oliver's show where you were talking about just the uh, you know the team philosophy on the defense for Georgia and and that plays a part in why you don't see a you know, they don't they don't typically have a guy with 10 to 12 sacks because they spread the wealth. Can you kind of rehash that for uh, my audience here? Sure. And, and I think it's when you look at what Kirby Smart has done defensively over the years, I think it's his evolution to saying, all right, as the spread offense has become more and more of a thing. And you know, look at what Josh Heupel does at Tennessee. And he's truly extending much like our brows, extending teams from sideline to sideline, RPOs. QB run game, to be able to defend all of it, you have to play a team defensive style that lends itself to team success on a consistent basis. And what is that? And I think a lot of what gets this started is the Trayvon Walker discussion. You know, hey, how is a guy who's who had, you know, so few sort of from a production stats uh, or sacks basis going to go in the top three? It's because of how he was used. And he was used in, in the team defensive philosophy that, that I think Kirby Smart employs, where guys have roles and guys have specific jobs, and it's all about what's going to create the most success. And that's why you see oftentimes from them, their linebackers are you know, like N'Kobe Dean, Roquan Smith in 2017, were the leading 
you know, guys in terms of sacks and pressures and things like that, because they've figured out, Hey, this is how we best defend the offenses that we go against. And thus, you know, Trayvon Walker out of his 17 quarterback hits and her and sacks that he had in the last two years, only two of which were he, him really just on the edge, pin his ears back and go after the quarterback, do whatever he wants kind of thing. For the most part, he had a, you could see that he had a specific plan within how he works within the framework of the defense. And they've had some of their coaches have done some clinics recently that have been posted online and talk about sort of the philosophical piece with that. And I think just the big picture philosophical piece is that, Hey, we play a team defensive style. That's not necessarily going to highlight one guy over another, but it's, we ask these guys to sacrifice and be a part of something that you're going to, and that's why you've seen, each and every year that they're in the teens in terms of points allowed and no matter what they do. And even this year, they're, they're going to, they're going to stop the run. Like it's their, their style and the, with how they play defense and how they coach it, they're going to stop the run. It's just about, can they uh, slow people, teams down in the passing game? Now, if you, if Georgia does attack the transfer portal, is there one or two position groups that you'd like to see them address? If you think they go that route? Uh, safety depth might be one that I, I could see, uh, depending upon how you know how Tyke Smith, who was a transfer from West Virginia last year that tore his ACL, how he's coming along. Do they see him truly uh, contributing? I would hope they they think they get some of that. Uh, outside of that, I really don't see them unless a true difference maker on the defensive side of the ball, and maybe even on the defensive line, pops open in the transfer portal, which you know hasn't happened yet. Uh, I don't. I don't see them. I, I would assume this is the year to hey go play the young guys and see what we got. Mm-hmm. All right, last thing for you, Brent. Really appreciate all your time. How tired are you of being asked about Arch Manning? <laughs> well, it's, it's what's interesting is that I actually, me personally, I don't get asked a lot about Arch Manning, but uh, just because I'm not the guy who's in and covering the recruiting at like the highest of levels, but I do like random people that you know friends that i talk to is like what do you think about that here's the key you're in you're in it you're you're in it you're involved you're you're a potential place to that he's going to come and because and because of that because of what you've built and i think not necessarily what you've built from a winning standpoint but what you've built from hey we weren't a pro style offense we you know we're a mix of under center shotgun play action, all this sort of NFL level passing concepts. You're going to, it's not, you're not going to be someone whose uh, average depth of target is seven yards down the field. You're going to push the ball down the field and do the things that the NFL teams want to see. I think that's where, that's the sort of good part of that is that you've done these things to where he's looking at it and saying, all right, this is a place I could see myself coming. And, and I think they're going to be in it till the end. It's just a matter of you know, where the kid wants to go because I would envision just thinking about that fa- the, the history of the family that he, much like Peyton and then much like Eli as well, kind of want to blaze their own trail. And thus, that's why you see Texas, Alabama, Georgia, you, know, you don't see Ole Miss, you don't see uh, schools that, you know, their family has kind of been linked to in, in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if nothing else, Georgia may have a little ace up their sleeve when you look at Texas and their lack of ability to, to develop offensive linemen. And we're even seeing that a little bit now at Alabama. I mean – they're having to add Vanderbilt transfers to shore up their whole. That's not a good sign to me. You know what? No, I I completely agree. And, and 
you keep guys in the pro, in the program, and that offensive line play is one where it's it's such a you, know, you think about all right when Georgia when Matt Luke decided to uh, retire and and step away, all right, who are you going to hire as an offensive line coach? It's not one of the positions where it's like, oh, instantly everybody that's a fan can think of ten names because a lot oftentimes the great ones are just you just don't necessarily know about. It. You just know that hey. Kentucky's O-line is always good every year. Wisconsin's O-line is always good every year. Those kind of things as opposed to the names themselves. All right, Brent, I'm going to let you go. I really, really appreciate all this outstanding knowledge. Give Brent a follow at Brent Rawlings, Ph.D. A little humble brag there. And check out all his work at UGASports.com. And don't forget to check out the Bulldogs by the Numbers podcast. Thank you so much, Brent. I, I really appreciate it. Very much. Thank you for having me.